Welcome to the show where we explore the wildest and most unexpected corners of our world. Joining Paul is his always awesome co-host, Jenna Eberly. Together, we'll be diving into the most controversial theories and uncovering the secrets of money and wealth that are just too wild to believe. Hang on to your shorts. The information you're about to hear is not for the faint of heart. Sit back, relax, and get ready for a journey through the uncharted territories of the human experience in money, wealth, and success. This is PMR Unhinged. Welcome back to PMR Unhinged. Today we're doing a Q&A with Nick Eberly. Welcome. Thanks for having me on. Nick, we're so glad to have you. Happy to be here. It's an honor to, to have you sitting with us today. And uh, you have some questions that you had uh, come up with. And we thought, you know what? Let's have Nick on. And I get to learn from the best. Oh, well, thank you. I, I agree. Jenna is definitely the best. <laughs> <laughs> not me. Okay, let's get into it. Want to do your first question? Yeah, why not? Let's get into it. Paul, since I'm in my 20s, I thought of this question. If you were in your 20s today, but you had the same knowledge you have right now, what would you be doing? What would you get into? Well, I, if today is 2024, 2020, then today I would I'd really be doing a lot of the same things that I did. I would just be doing it a lot faster. One, I would definitely have gone to a UPW by Tony Robbins right away as early as I can. I know you've already have done that actually. So that's a check mark on, on you. The other thing I would be doing is I'd be reading at least one book a week. What kind of books? Oh, books that I'm interested in business, real estate, finance, you know, those types of things. Would you recommend taking a speed reading class? Cause a book a week is quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, you could do that. You could take a speed reading class. I mean, whatever would help you to get there. You know, you look at like Warren Buffett, you look at Mark Cuban, you look at all these billionaires, you know, they all dedicate, I mean, Warren Buffett's like three hours a day to reading. So, you know, I would, if it, if it helps you, I mean, yeah, Jim Quick, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He helps on like on a speed reading type thing. So yeah, I, I guess I would recommend that taking a speed ring because I think the most important part is, is read a book a week. Definitely would do that. The other thing is, is that I would be trying to learn something internet, something online. I, I still believe today, I've told my kids since they were 12 years old that you know, you're missing, you're missing the gold rush of your age, of your era, because the internet is truly still an area that you can just make an enormous amount of money very quickly. Well, what kind of things are you talking about on the internet? There's so many things. I mean, one thing is, is you know, you and I've talked about that before, but is affiliate marketing. There is setting up Shopify stores. There's all kinds of things. I mean, you know, there's Forex, people trade Forex online, you know, stock trading. I mean, it really depends on what your what your lane is, what your interest is. You know, you have to find your interest and then you have to go down that road. You know, I know a lot of times, you know, I get questions from some people that, you know, I, I run into or just start talking to. I don't know why or how they start talking to me, <laughs> but it seems to be young people around your age that are always just, they just flat out start asking me, you know, how did you get this? Maybe I'm in the Ferrari or something, getting gas in it. And 
And next thing I know, I'm sitting at the gas station for 30 minutes talking to, you know, <laughs> some, some young person, you know, they just want to know, but a lot of times they just want to know how you did it or how I did it, let's say. And then that's all it goes from there. They, they never really go and do much else with it. And as you know, action is everything, right? So, you know, you first have to have the vision of what you're trying to do, and then you have to have, you know, faith that you can make it happen. And then you have to use action to actually start bringing forth your visions, you know, together. So when do you start taking action? I like to take action right away. I mean, once I sit there, I'll envision, I mean, that might not always be the best thing. I'll start envisioning, you know, what I'm after, what I'm you know, trying to do. And I really try to not let the sun set that first day without taking some sort of action towards that dream or that goal uh, that I decided to make. So I say right away, you read or listen to other people. They say, you know, really get the vision very clear, which I don't necessarily disagree with that. But, you know, I think that a lot of people, if you don't take some kind of action right away, it, it gets hard. You know, we get busy. Life is busy. You, you know, go to your job or you have this or you have that. And next thing you know, weeks have passed and you haven't really done anything to meet that. So for me, I really like to take some kind of action as quickly as possible. Let's put it that way. Okay. So what's, what does your routine look like? That million dollar routine? Hmm. What is that million dollar routine today or when I was trying to make? Let's go when you were trying to make it. When I was first trying to make, you know, really get to a certain place, certain, you know, level, I guess I would say I began every day at 4 4 a.m. I was up by 4 a.m. at the gym by 4.30, you know, working out. And Jenna's over here kind of shaking her head at me because- (laughs) That's she she says that's the middle of the night. That is the middle of the night. But, you know, for me that really was kind of my my routine. I would be up for 4:30 in the morning. I would uh be at the gym, you know, stay at the gym probably you know, typically an hour. Sometimes it got to a point where it was like an hour and a half that I was working out cuz I just got so much mentally from being at the gym. I don't necessarily go to the gym because I'm trying to you know, be this big bodybuilder. I'm older. I don't build muscles as much as fast as I used to. So, you know, I, I got a little, I get a lot of mental exercise out of yeah. being at the gym, come home. I would, uh, you know, pray, meditate. I still actually follow a lot of this. I'm not at the gym at four, four thirty as often anymore. Now maybe six, six thirty. but pray, meditate, then I would always read my book, whatever book I was reading for at least 30 minutes. Honestly, I probably should have been longer. Should have read for probably an hour at that time. I will say today that you know, I'm not, that's probably one area that I need to be a little bit better at today. So I guess I'm kind of giving you what I did back then that got me to, you know, where all of a sudden I was at that level. But then after I read my book for about 30 minutes, you know, go jump in the shower. Actually, before I jump in the shower, I, I'd read my book and then I always do about 10, 15 minutes of envisioning. What and were you envisioning? Whatever my dream was or my goal, you know, for that time, for at that moment, you know, wherever I was trying to, however I was trying to make that first million, let's say, you know, I just sit there and envision it. 
And and one of the things where a lot of people lose on envisioning is that they forget the one of the most important parts, which is which is using emotion. You have to attach emotion when you're envisioning. So when you're envisioning, you have to really picture and clearly, you know, see that whatever it is, let's say that you're envisioning having a mansion or whatever your dreams are, you're envisioning having that perfect husband or that perfect wife. You have to really like envision it clearly. Then you need to ask yourself, what am I feeling? How do I feel? Walk into the actual vision. What does it feel like when you're opening up that door, opening up the garage to your mansion or whatever it is, you know, are you feeling a sense of pride? Are you, do you feel joyous? Are you happy? I mean, what is it? And a lot of times you'll also find out that when you step in with the emotion, you'll find out that maybe that vision that you've been you know, using or that's been in your mind really isn't exactly what you really wanted. You're not feeling those emotions. And so, you know, oftentimes it's better to, you know, revamp a little bit, go for the visions that really get your blood cooking, right? That really get your heart beating. You feel, feel a little bit of a twinge in your gut. Like, Oh, I just, I can't wait. So anyway, I would always envision, sit there and envision and then jump in the shower and boom, I was at my desk and taking action for the rest of the day. And was that on the weekends too? In the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I worked nonstop. There was not a time that I just didn't work. I think that the best part was, is that when I actually realized that you have to have a morning, you know, ritual type thing to actually try and get to where you're going, that's when it, things really changed for me. Things really started moving in the right direction at that point. When I was younger, actually your age, you know, I would work in my study at home, I had a corporate job. And I would be in my study and I would just be dreaming. I'd be doing whatever it was, researching, looking at the things that I was interested in, trying to figure out what is it that I need to do to make a ton of money. And oftentimes I would be in my office till two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. I had to be at my corporate job by seven. You know, so I wasn't even working out at that time. It was kind of sporadic. I'd come home, spend some time with the kids. And by the time, you know, we'd have dinner. I always spent at least an hour with the kids playing with them. And then Stephanie, my wife would put the kids to bed or take them to get it, you know, give them a bath. And I was back in my study, studying, researching, reading books, you know, doing whatever. And, and that did work in the beginning, but it didn't get me as far as fast as it did until that I actually said, okay, wait a minute, I'm going to start getting up in the morning early. I'm going to start going and working out. Once I really put that morning ritual together, then things moved very quickly. So how did you start narrowing things down, what you wanted to do? So you were learning how money works, real estate business. How did you start narrowing down what you wanted to do? Well, I always knew that I wanted to have a high income, right? I knew that I wanted to make a lot of money per year. I didn't necessarily know how to do that. I didn't have podcasts. I didn't have YouTube. I had books, right? And kind of like what we talked about in the beginning, you know, that's why I said I would read a book a week because there, when I was a lot younger, I was only reading a book about probably one book every month, maybe a book every two months. I was finally finishing the book, take me, you know, two months to read it. 
and then I'd be on to the next book. But um, that's one of the reasons that I really said, you know, try to read a book. So I didn't really know that. I knew I, I knew I wanted to make a lot of money, and that's why I went and worked in banking. Because I thought, well, if I could get around money, <laughs> then I could understand it. And I will tell you, I still use that information today. What I learned working in banking has been paramount. So um, you're driven by numbers or are you passionate in the certain jobs that you've had? Well, his question was, what? how did I narrow it down? And I didn't really narrow it down until, you know, one of my friends that I worked with at the bank, he actually, you know, I was telling him that, hey, we had just bought a condo. And we were married already, you know, Megan, your sister was already born. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to sell my condo. I'm going to buy a house now. He's like, what? No, don't do that. I said, don't, don't do that. He said, yeah. He's like, keep the condo, rent it out. I was like, oh, I didn't even think of that. So really I kind of used him as a mentor. His name was Song. His name is Song, I should say. Kind of lost touch with him. I mean, we connect every so often, but he kind of was like a mentor to me and his mentor, uh, his name was Stan. And this guy owned like a whole block of homes in Denver. I'm not like <laughs> a whole community. He had a whole one whole block. His goal They're was to own free. every single house on the block and he owned them all mortgage free. And this is, I'm telling you, this is in the nineties. So there was one house, one holdout. She wouldn't sell to him. <laughs> I bet that kept him up at night. Yeah. It drove him nuts. So, but anyway, that's how I kind of got into the real estate to be honest. And then once I had the condo, I was like, oh, this is really cool. I make money every month. They pay me rent. I mean, it's nerve wracking. I mean, because I had a mortgage on it and I thought if they don't pay the rent, I have to pay it. And back then, yeah, I didn't really have two nickels to rub together. So it was kind of nerve wracking, but I did whatever it took. And I think the, the fear of not being able to pay drove me to get more and more promotions so I kept moving through the bank. I mean, I was getting promotion like every six months. I'd be in a job and I would just master it as fast as I could and be like the best. And then I would always kind of give like, you know, I'd always talk to my boss or my boss's boss and ask him, hey, you know, what can I do to one day sit in your chair? And so they kept giving me more and more information and I just kept taking. And I mean, I very quickly moved and all of a sudden I was working in treasury management where I really learned business banking. And so I would see some of these customers with these business accounts. And I'm talking, I had some pretty big business accounts at that time where they had well over a hundred million in their bank accounts, in their checking. And I was like, okay, who owns these companies? Then I would find whoever owns some of these companies. I was like, dang, wow, look at how much money they have. So I was like, okay, yeah, you know, I love business. I need to own my own business. That's what I need to do. And I started meeting other people and, you know, they were in sales and, you know, from the very beginning, I always kind of wanted to be a stockbroker. I envisioned myself being a hedge fund manager working on wall street. But once you get married and have a kid, that's a commission only job. That was a little bit scary to me. You know, I didn't have anyone there going, you're young, go for it. Just go for it. So I took the safe route and I went into operations and go into sales. And that's why you always, you guys always hear me today say, no, don't do that. Because I'm actually speaking from experience and saying, go into sales. The more I learned, the more books I read, everything that I've come to the conclusion, it has shown that really you want to be on the sales side. Because I always looked at the CEOs, the executive vice presidents, the COOs, the CFOs, 
It's like, where did they come? What was their, per, their path, right? What ladder did they take? Not one of them came from operations. They always came from the sales side. Why do you think that is? The sales side is what really makes the company money. So they're the ones that get noticed. They're the ones that are out there. They're the ones that have the charisma, the personality. You know, they're the ones that understand the business of what the business is selling. Operations is more of a support type area. Sales is the the gas, the, the you know, the gas pedal. I have a question. Do you think you can make a ton of money with being passionate with numbers and not passionate with what you're doing? You can make a lot of money no matter what, right? It really is the cash flow game. And you have to name what is a lot of money for you because a lot of people are like, well, a lot of money. Okay, well, the first thing, first and foremost, the number one thing you have to do is say, what is a lot of money to me? Because when I was first starting out, I thought if I could just make $10,000 a month, wow, I'd be living high on the hog. Now, this is early in the 90s, so $10,000 a month would have been quite a bit today, you know, in, in today's dollars. But you have to have the number. You have to have the actual number that you're going for. So to answer that question, you can be a housekeeper. You can be, you could work at McDonald's, at, you know, flipping burgers and if, you know, becoming, you know, basically independent or out of the rat race, you could save enough money or live at home or do whatever you have to do, live with roommates, because, you know, I'm not really into the thing of living at home really past 20. Mm-hmm. So you could live with roommates, do whatever you can, save money, work at night, do odd jobs and invest that money so that you get enough cash flow coming in to meet. So let's say you're making $2,000 a month or $4,000 a month. I don't know what they make today, but let's say $4,000 a month. And if you put your money away, make the investments, and now you start making $4,000 a month. Passively. Passively, you're now out of the rat race, right? right? So you've done it. So that could be wealthy for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Wealth doesn't always have to be just number, you know, numbers either. It doesn't always have to be money or finance. There's a wealth in many different areas, wealth spiritually, You know, I think number one, if you don't have a relationship with God, I think that if you're, if you don't know Jesus, then really, you know, I I don't know the actual verse, but you know, one of the things in the Bible says, what good is it for a man to inherit all the world to lose his soul? You know, you're, you're, you're broke then. And so that was another thing that really helped me once I got, you know, right with God and really wanted to be close and have a relationship with God, you know, that really changed everything for me as well. Different type of wealth. Yeah. So since you've accumulated all this wealth, I always have that fear of when I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming of the amount I have in my head that if I hit this, this is what, you know, success looks like in not having to work and everything like that. What would you say that number is since you have hit it? Well, I haven't, I haven't hit my my new numbers yet. You know, I mean, I have new numbers now and it's funny because I was having a conversation, you know, with my mom and, and she was talking about, we were seeing something on TV and there was these people and they were obviously extremely well, but they were trying to do the next thing. And, and, um, you know, so we got into this conversation, like what's enough. Right. And yeah, I have enough. I definitely have enough. I had enough a long time ago, but today it's not so much about the number it's about wanting to still work, wanting to still put together the next deal to, 
you know, keep moving. Um, you know, we had retired there for a minute. We had built the, one of our companies up, sold it, and we retired for a good six months. And Stephanie and I were staring at each other going, this sucks. <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. We had traveled. We went all over the place, you know, for six months. We were, And then we were just sitting actually on the back deck of our house one day. And I was like, this sucks. We're just sitting here all day long. I just can't do this anymore. What's so crazy is you envision, well, if I make this much, I'm done working. But then, like you're saying, six months, you're like, what, what's next? Well, you want to you wanna get to the point where you have the freedom, right? So you, you want to get to the point where you're not working because you have to, to pay for your bills or pay for your dreams. You want to get to the point where you have enough money coming in that you can do whatever you want. Now, are you probably going to go work? Yeah, probably. Because for me, work is fun. I enjoy working. I enjoy doing the things that we, that we do. You know, I love business. I love real estate. So what's the next deal I can get into? What's the next building I can buy? What's the next business that I can buy or, or build? That's what drives me. That doesn't necessarily mean it drives everybody. Some people have, you know, that I know that listen to this, this podcast, some people have, you know, jobs and quite honestly, that's okay too. There's nothing wrong with having a, a W2 job, right? Maybe it's not even in sales. If that's what you enjoy, then that's fine. You can still reach a level of wealth. You just have to be an investor. You have to think like an investor when you come home at night. And start finding the ways that you can invest for cash flow, not capital. When you invest in your 401k, you're investing for capital. And I think that it's now kind of really getting known. I mean, in many circles, it's getting known that really you can't retire on a 401k. Once I left banking, I then went to work for a company called Great West Life. And I managed 401ks for them. On the operations side, I managed the 401ks. And that was another time you, you and I've had that conversation and I looked and so statistically, I know that most people at that time, again, this is maybe late nineties had an average of around $200,000 in their 401k at the time of retirement. Can you imagine only having $200,000 in your account at retirement? I would guarantee many of those people are now working again because they have to. So that was another thing that I understood about sales back then too, because the people that I supported on the operations side, the sales guys, they were my age, which was like 28, 29. And two of the guys I know were making over a million dollars a year each, but they were on the sales side. And I'm like, man, I'm doing something wrong because at that time I was making like $58,000 a year, which was a good amount. I mean, at that time people, you know, had respect for me. I was like, oh, he climbed up pretty well. And at 58 for that time was actually very strong. I mean, that was like today, almost six figures today, right? If you use it in or put it in today's terms. But yeah, you know, at that point, I was like, this is just not going to get me to where I want to go. So, you know, I had a friend and he owned a mortgage company and he told me, he says, hey, you got to, you got to come here. Actually, he, he had bought some of the, he had been my mortgage broker for me, my lender when I was buying some rental homes. Cause then I started getting into the whole thing of, buying rental homes, buying more condos. Cause my friend song had got me into rentals, right? So I started buying more condos. Well, he was the one lending me the money or, you know, getting the loan 
situated for me. And he's like, I kind of became friends with him. And he's like, you know what? You should do this. And he's like, I'll tell you right now, you can make like 50 grand a month. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I'm not lying. Being a mortgage broker? Being a mortgage broker. And I was like, yeah, okay. So he showed me all his checks. He's making a lot more than 50 grand a month. Sounds was, like Wolf for Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess in a way it kind of yeah. was. And so he, he was actually kind of shooting a little bit low. And I said, dang, I got to do this. So I said, okay, I'm going to go for it. We already had this other business going that your mom was working in, uh, Jenna. And um, so I said, okay, it, it's making enough. We had enough saved up at that time. So I said, you know what? I'm going to try it. So I quit my corporate job. That was terrifying. I can still picture right now walking out the last time and leaving that corporate job and becoming fully self-employed. But I went to work for him and you know, I made it my goal. So what was I doing? I was really envisioning. He told me 50 grand. So I made it my goal that was, which was to make my annual salary within one month. And I ended up doing that with, it was like three, four months later. I actually had made my annual salary within one month and I, I was hooked at that time. Oh, yeah. At that point I said, okay, I'm hooked. So went on to do that, ended up working for another, I left his company when worked for this other lady. She was like number one in Denver and Colorado for mortgage brokers. So I went and worked with her. So I wanted to learn everything from her. She taught me everything. And then I left her company and started my own and started a company called Capital Lending and we got to a point in time when we had like over 100 employees in that company. That was a pretty big company at that time. Did you expect to grow it that much? No, actually, I, would, I expected just to go and work by myself. I just, <laughs> I just wanted to go and I didn't really want employee. I didn't really even want anybody to come with me. I had one company. And I just wanted it to be me, right? <laughs> but then I had some friends who were like, hey, teach me. I want to know. How are you doing this? I said, okay, come work with me. You have a thing. People latch on to you. Yeah. So then I started teaching some friends and then they were making money. I'm like, well, hey, you know, it's my company. I got to take a percentage. So I was thinking like 25%. They got 75%, but they were still making a lot of money. And so I'm making money. They're making money. And how did you lead generate? I really lead generated through the mayor campaign. The mayor campaign? The mayor campaign. What is that? Brian Buffini. So we had taken a thing with Brian Buffini and I really put his system into work. So like a referral system? A referral system. I was building my database big time and I was out and about meeting people everywhere I went. I mean, every person I saw, they were a potential client of mine. And so I just kind of got myself out there as much as I could, started meeting people. And then before I knew it, other people started referring me other people because I always made sure I did top notch job for them. Always. Well, how were you successfully networking? Back then... I was successfully networking really by going to conferences, going to, you know, again, anywhere I could that I could meet people. Title companies always have like these mixers and stuff. So I wanted to go and meet uh, realtors because realtors just send you business. You know, they're like on autopilot. They just send it to you. Right. So I would meet them. Then I would meet the clients. Oftentimes the clients would invite me to some party I'd go to the party, start talking to their friends. And I really started with my sphere of influence. I really started with just the people I knew and friends, family. And I reached out to them and said, hey, do you know anyone that might be needing to buy or sell a home? 
that, you know, because at that time, what I would do is kind of refer the sale of the home to some of my realtors, and then they would use me as the lender. How do you keep that coming in, the referrals? Well, you have to just really keep expanding on that, right? Because once you get the referrals, now you have another base that you can sit there and say, hey, do you know anyone? <laughs> well, did you put any incentives on it? No, because you can't can't do that in, in that kind of world. You can't give- It's called like, a kickback. Re- you can't do that. Yeah, you can't give referral fees or anything like that in that world. So, you know, I just really treated them well. And to be honest, I didn't leave them. So when I helped someone close on their house or whatever, their dream home- I had a thing in my database that it would alert me, you know, six months later, well, really three months later, six months later, and then a year later. So I was always constantly reaching back out to them. Hey, is everything okay? Have you, you know, you should be receiving your statement. You're receiving your statements. Does everything look good? If you like, you can send it to me. I'll review it. Then six months. Hey, just checking in with you again. Blah, blah, blah. At a year. Hey, congratulations. You've been in your home for a year. You know, what about like personal notes or personal notes random texts? Huge for us. Again, that's a Brian Buffini thing. And we actually incorporated that into the childcare business as well. And I will tell you right now, that has been massive for us. If I could actually put a number to how personal notes have helped us, easily in the seven figures, easily that that has helped us. So let's say you you're going to an event and you're networking. What are you wearing? What kind of business cards do you have? And how long you wait until you reach out to them? I'm wearing nice clothes. I don't want to be overdressed. I mean, I don't want to go in a three-piece suit if I'm <laughs> going and everybody else is in yeah. jeans, right? But if I'm going and everybody's like in jeans, let's say, I might be having a little bit nicer slacks, nice shoes. I spent the money on my clothes because I wanted to look good. And if you look good, you feel good. And so, you know, you feel good. Now you have confidence going and talking to people, right? So I always made sure that, you know, psh, psh, have a little bit of the cologne on, you know, or whatever, <laughs> you know, make sure I had some mints in my mouth or whatever, Gu- you know, chew some gum before I go. And I'd never be sitting there chewing gum when I'm talking to people <laughs> though. But I always made sure that, you know, I was very presentable and I just would, I like people. I mean, I do, I like people. And I think that's why still today, a lot of people end up talking to me. I, I like people. And so people just, I always throughout kind of my adult life, people just come and talk to me and then they're like, oh yeah, oh, yeah if I can ever help you. Here's my card. I think that really today a good way to do is have a a personal card. We all are our own personal brand. And so I think it's important. Have a card that is just your name, your phone number, your email address. I mean, you could just name, you could, you know, the logo could just be your initials, but have something that you can hand out. Now, here's the most important part that most people miss when they're going out and actually trying to build their database. A lot of new realtors or mortgage lenders, what they would do is they would go and try to hand out their cards to as many people as they could. That's not the right way. The right way is to go out and get as many cards as you can. Meet someone like, oh, I don't have a business card. Hey, no, no problem. Can you write it down here? I'll just write it down. You know, I'd always have a little, one of those little tiny notepads and a pen and I would write down their name, phone number. Once we had cell phones. I would say, hey, not a problem. What is your phone number? And I'd put it in my phone and then I would text them and say, can you make sure that I just text you my number so that that way you have my information and I'm sitting there kind of looking over at their phone to make sure that they didn't give me a, <laughs> There's a, sales, a BS the sales number. Side right there. Yeah. So you, you got to you, look, you can't be interested in handing your card out to everybody. You want to go and get their information so that you can reach out to them. I mean, there was times I would be in places I'd come back with 
10, 15 cards. I'd immediately, you know, go home and that's sometimes I was up late and I'd put all their information into my database and I always put in the notes, right? So let's say I was talking to you and you're like, oh yeah, well, you know, my son has a baseball game. He's in the championship this weekend, blah, 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 blah. I would put those notes in. And then the next time I spoke to that person, I'd be like, hey, Nick, last time we talked, your son was in the championship for baseball. Did he win? And so many times they would look at me like this shock and awe. Like, how do you remember that? (laughs) Well, it's not because I have some great memory. It's because I would write my notes down and go put it in my database and it would be right there the next time I contacted them. So it's building that. And it's actually taking an interest in people as well. So today with texting and email and all that, people are just cold because there's no interaction through voice or face-to-face. It's all through technology. And I think that's a, I think that's a problem. If you want to be different today, actually use some of the face-to-face or voice. Not that texting isn't important. It is, you know, Megan, my daughter, <laughs> my oldest daughter is always telling me, no dad, texting is also, yes, it is. <laughs> so I agree with her, but I also think that you should try to be different and try and use voice to voice. Or yeah, It's kind of hurting everybody though. Like uh, people don't want to answer their phones. They just want to respond to emails and then emails are easier not to respond to. So that's, yeah, it's not as personal, you know? So, and if you're in sales, you got to try and make that contact with them. You got to try. It's important knowing the person though, too. Like Megan, if you're trying to sell something to her, do not call her. She will block you. But if you text her. <laughs> yeah, but how are you supposed to know that? If you text her, because notice she will not answer your call, but she'll answer your text. So then text her and you can gain her business through text for sure. her. But for like you, dad or Nick, call and you'll gain the business through a call. Know who you're talking to. Sure, absolutely. I mean, especially with the younger, the millennials and Gen X or not Gen X, Gen Z and all those, you know, generations. That's more going to be more prevalent, but I still think that there's a, a a big value to reaching them voice to voice. You know, Megan's just not going to answer the phone, but some people will. And if you can at least get some of that voice to voice or face to face, I think that's still has a lot of value today. Yeah. Nick and I were just talking about that, how in the dating world for younger people now, like they don't even use iMessage. They just Snapchat. They don't call. They don't text. They That's literally just like, how do you even get to know a person? That's horrible. I mean, so and, or they break up via text or, I mean, that's not a relationship, no. you know, that's just a technological relationship. And that's why it's easy for them to come and go. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't agree with that either. You know, be different. Yeah. Very true. Kind of taking a pivot here more towards the real estate side. Do you have a real estate investment strategy you used? Yes. I do. You know, my strategy is really to, as we've talked on other shows, is to really, I love single tenant net lease buildings. We've been in the childcare business for many years. And so 30 years now we've been in that business. So I understand that business very well. We've built buildings. We have taken over buildings that are empty and made them, you know, into childcare. So for me, you know, my strategy is more to buy today the building and there's two strategies. One, to buy a building that has a big tenant in it. One of the big national operators who comes in, they have a 15-year lease. 
now the landlord, they pay me the rent. It's triple net, which means I don't, I do have one job as the landlord and that's to collect the rent. That's it. They are responsible for the taxes. They're responsible for the maintenance. They're responsible for all the repairs. The tenant is responsible for everything. So for me, it's to go buy buildings like that. And then another strategy is, is to go find empty childcare buildings and buy the building and then find the tenant and put the tenant in there or buy the building. And then my wife, she, you know, Stephanie, she goes in there and becomes a business. business and now she pays me rent pocket to pocket. And then we just keep moving forward in that direction. But there's many strategies. That's just my strategy. And then also I have, you know, another one of my strategies is, is to invest in other people's deals. So other syndicators that I know I invest in their multifamily deals because I can only do so much at a given time. So I invest in their deals and then I make money from there as well. Yeah. I got two questions with the absolute triple net. How much cash do you need on average? Well, it depends. Are you investing in someone else's deal or are you investing in your own? Let's deal? say it's your own deal. Depends on how just the, average the just, price of the bill. Well, you, you, know, could, yeah. you could just do this. You could look at it and say, if it's a million dollar building, you're going to have to have a minimum of 25%. Today, now down, that, 25% down, 25% down. Unless, unless it, you're going to be the business that's in it. So let's say you have a sandwich shop, you go buy a building. You're going to be the sandwich shop in that building. Well, then you can get an SBA loan or a different kind of loan and only put 10% down. So if the building is a million dollars, you can put 10%, which is only $100,000. If you're going in, there's a different tenant in there, then you're going to need a minimum of 25%. But when cap rates are low and interest rates are high, you're going to have to put more down. You're going to be 35 35 to 50% today. Jeez. What would you recommend? So you, you brought up two options. You can rent out the bit, a building to a big tenant or you can put your own business in. You've done both. Which I'm, one would you recommend? I've done both. As I'm getting older, I think I kind of like the, <laughs> I think I like yeah. the big tenants in yeah. there. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of work to put the business in there, start the business. It's a lot more risk. A lot more, you know, just goes into it when you're, because I say Stephanie goes and puts the business in it, but we're in it together. I mean, we're 50-50 in that. And so, you know, I'm working in that as well. I like to joke around and say, hey, you know, pay me the rent. (laughs) She's like, go, go write the check. (laughs) You know, so, you know, I think today it all depends for me today. I like the big, the big tenants, but when you're starting out, you know, you're not going to be in those big deals. So, Oftentimes when we talk, it's, I'm speaking from, you know, at the top of the mountain, let's say, and of my mountain, let's be clear. That's my mountain. There's mountains that are much higher than mine. So I think that when you're really starting out and kind of more what this show is geared towards is younger people, you know, start out slow. If you really want to know the game, go buy the game cash flow. It's like a hundred dollar game. And now it is, but inflation it, it in inflation. Yeah. Well, hell, it might even be more yeah. than a hundred dollars today. I think that's what I paid yeah. for it. But Jenna knows, I mean, we used to play that game. We'd go up to the cabin. Cash flow by Robert Kiyosaki. Yep. And we would play a cash flow for kids because we'd play the, when you guys were really young, I mean, they were like seven, Jenna was probably like seven, eight years old when she first started playing cash flow. And I think that's why you understand it so well. But really, once you learn, I mean, there's been so many times that I look at stuff around even the kids and I'm like, 
we're literally just playing that game. That's literally what we're doing. We're just doing it well, in real life. And back to how you could gear it to younger people and get find a syndicator. Because you might not have you can't go buy a building by yourself, but could you maybe give fifty or a hundred K? Yeah. Could you Yeah, that? I mean most most syndications today, if you're investing so there's something called a five oh six B, right? And then there's a five oh six C. If you're not an accredited investor, you're not gonna get into a five oh six C. So what you want to do is go find someone that's offering a 506B offering. And that means is they it's kind of a friends and family type thing. They can let you invest in it because they know you. They have some kind of relationship with you, your friends or your family. And again, the thing is go out and meet people. Go to some of these real estate conferences. Go talk to people. Most of the time, it's going to be 50000 to invest in your first deal. I've met people where they say the minimum is 50, but they'll let you in for 25,000. Dang, 25? Mm-hmm. I thought the minimum was 100. Most, well, today a lot of people kind of started moving towards the 100, but I'm starting to Inflation. see some other deals come across my desk where they're saying 50 because today people are a little more leery about putting their money out there. They have money to invest, but they're a little more leery to put it out there. So it's not as easy to raise capital as it was a year ago. A year ago, I mean, like one of the deals that I did, we raised, what was it, like $6 million or something like that. We raised it in three days. Mm-hmm. You know, people were like, yeah, I mean, we're just throwing money, right? Yeah, we have all this money. Yeah, we want to invest it. Go make us money, right? So, but today it's not as easy, you know. It's a little more scary. But don't you want to pay attention to how many investors there are? Yeah, I don't like, I mean, for me, when I'm doing my own personal, personal deals, I mean, I don't really tend to have any investors. I mean, it's, I have one big investor and that's my father. And, you know, he's, him and I have actually started this where we started kind of investing together many years ago and we just kept growing and kept growing it from there. So, you know, I'm the lead kind of, I guess you could say the a GP in that. And uh, my father, he is more kind of like the LP. So he puts his money in and he gets a passive return. And I kind of do more of the work on it. Well, when you're first starting out, someone might want to go, I'm going to gather as many people as I can to go afford this deal. But what's too many? What would be too many? How you know? Well, there's, you got to run the formula. I mean, there's spreadsheets out there that you can use. I mean, you know, there's, there's formulas, but I mean, I, I've seen deals where they have 150 investors Look plus. You can't be making that much though. Grant Cardone has thousands. Yeah. I mean, that's when you're looking at doing like a fund, you know, he, he does funds today. So he's just getting all kinds of people to put money in the fund and then mm-hmm. the fund goes and invest in the building or whatever. When you're doing like a 506B or 50, you know, 506C, I mean, you can really have as many investors as in there as you want, but you know, you're not going to let someone in for $10,000, you know? And so you only want to raise as much money as you need, right? You know what the bank is going to lend you on the deal typically before you go in, cause you're talking to your lenders and everything. So let's say today it's 50%, right? So you have to put down 50%. It's a $10 million building. So, you know, you have to raise $5 million on this deal. Okay, so typically the banks want to see that you've put in a lot of money yourself if you're the general partner. So you're going to go in and put in, let's say, 100000 Well, that means you need to go raise $4.9 million. 
Well, think of that. If you go and do 50,000 each, that's quite a few investors. Yeah. I mean, you're cutting a lot of checks. That, you increase the amount of work for yourself by the number of investors because now you, you know, plus you increase the cost of your attorney bills and, you know, all of it. So for me, I like having very minimum number of investors. Most of my deals are just me and, like I said, my, my father, who we've partnered on most of these deals. He doesn't always partner with me. Sometimes he, he said, no, that one's not for me. <laughs> so I said, okay, then I go do it. You know, and then afterwards he's like, mm, I should have gotten into that one. I'm like, yeah, you should have gotten Or he's into like, it. ooh, good thing I didn't do that <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to thank God for that yeah, one. There's yeah. been Knock on wood. I don't want to put that on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's, you know, thank God. I And again, like I said, you know, I give him, I give him all the glory. So everything that I've done, I couldn't have done without him. So how do you build that team? Well, you you gotta, did it through your family. I did it through my family. I know Grant Cardone. When I met him, we had a good long conversation, and uh, he was telling me that it was really his friends and family that was really investing with him. Um, that was at a time he wasn't a billionaire at that time. It's funny though. When I met him, he told me at that time, and I think that time he was worth like four hundred million. I think, and he met me. He just threw it out there. He goes, "My goal is within five years is to be a billionaire." He did it. Like when he said, I was like, wow, man, dang, you're just telling me that, you know, I mean, I had just met him. And so that that was pretty bold, but man, he did it. You know, he absolutely did it. So it's called your sphere. Yeah. I I just saw the other day. He took his sister's 200,000 she had out of her uh, 401k, put it in a building, made her $2.7 million. Yep. That he talks about that. He said that in the very beginning that his sister was one of the ones that invested with him and Actually, that's why I was there. He had invited me to go to Vegas at that time. And I was in there with maybe 15, 20 people at most. And they were all people that could invest a lot of money in his next deal. Kevin Harrington was there and many other people that, you know, probably can't say or shouldn't say, but people that you would know their names. So met him and yeah, spoke to him for quite a bit and he was trying to sell some deal that he, another big multifamily project. And he told me at that time, he said, this is probably going to be the last one that I do that is a 506B offering. He says, then I'm going to go to create a fund. He but did. how he started was his sphere of influence? Sphere of influence. He was kind of doing it on his own. He was buying, I think, very small projects at mm-hmm. that time. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to go buy this big one. And yeah. So you've got to tap into your sphere. But by that time, he was already kind of getting well-known. He had some big names that he was connected to. So, you know, I'm sure they were yeah. investing in him some, you know, a lot of money. So it it worked for him. I know from what I understand, he takes a lot off the top, though. So most GPs don't. Got to pay yourself. Yeah. How much, how much does he take off the top? Well, I don't know for sure, but I've heard it's a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> I know I know it's a lot more than it's probably different with every deal. What quite a few others do. But yeah, every deal's every deal is different. Yeah. You know. So you know, for me, when I'm doing some things, you guys actually have invested in one of our last deals that we just went full cycle on. Yep. Uh you guys did pretty well on that investment. You know, so you guys are already doing it. I mean, you're doing it. You're young, but you're you're already following the the system and you know, to be your age and already putting that kind of money, you put a lot of yeah, money. It just in. feels like we're not doing enough. It, it becomes addicting. You see the cash flow mm-hmm. and it was coming on a quarterly basis. You're like, how can I get more? How can I get more? Yeah. It's obviously 
Yeah, you got to go make more money from either a nine to five or you're fully commissioned like Jenna is being a realtor. I think where we would need assistance is how much would you say you would save? You always talk about, okay, live off one income, right? Off of that one person, are you doing 100% of theirs? Because then you could save uh, your wife or whoever it might be. Even the wife could be the breadwinner. You save 100% you, of one spouse and the other so spouse you live on. You're not, yeah, so you're not going to save 100% of that one person's. No, you are. So my thing is, is and again, this is things that I've tried to teach my kids from when the, that they were very young before they were even teenagers, that when you get married, you live on one person's income. And, you know, I know that it's getting harder and harder because of inflation, you know, thanks to, uh, you know, the let's people. go, Brandon. Sleepy yeah. Joe. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and, and just actually just poor and his voters. policy. So, you know, I, I know it's harder today, but I would live as poor as long as you can. And I would live on one person's income. And again, we talk about that in some of the earlier shows about having a crash account. You got to have a crash account, which means that if the wheels come off the bus and things go bad, you have at least six months of living expenses. Once you save up, you know, whatever it is, if, if your living expenses are 5000 you know, 10000 a month, whatever it is, you have at least six months to pay all your bills. You're giving yourself a runway. Most people, they say only have two weeks. What? Most people, they say only have two weeks. In other words, it's paycheck to paycheck. They spend every penny by the time the next paycheck comes. I've heard two people this month say they have no money right now. They got $6 in their account and are waiting for the next paycheck. Yep, exactly. So you don't want to be like that. So I would do whatever it would take. I mean, I would live in a small condo, whatever it is. I think it's important that both people work, both work their butts off, you know, until maybe you have a child or whatever, you know, then that's different. You know, I get that. I'm not opposed to, you know, moms or wives or whatever to not work. I'm not opposed to that. But when you're young, work, get out there, go bust it, you know, bust your ass, go work, make as much as you can. Because when you're young, that's when you want to try and really get it coming in, you know, then you go and invest it, then you grow it as it keeps growing. I mean, look at Warren Buffett. He didn't actually become very wealthy until he was in his fifties. And he's often said before that his life is like a snowball. It just keeps getting bigger as it keeps rolling downhill. Now, how much is he worth today? I mean, we 70, 80 billion. I don't even remember. It's a lot. And so, you know, and then you look at him now, I think that's an extreme. He still lives in the same house. You yeah, know, it's and I mean, driving come on, the same car, <laughs> driving a pickup truck, but yeah. he has like two private jets, you know? Yeah. Okay. Maybe he doesn't value having the big house, you know, but Hey, to each their own, but at least get a new house. I mean, you're worth, you're one of the richest men in the world and you don't want, okay, you know, at least go buy your wife a nice house. You know, I'm sure maybe he has vacation homes, other places, or maybe who knows. I'm sure he does. But, you know, he might be a little bit of an extreme, but look at, I mean, I would agree with in the very beginning, live as poor as you can, save as much as you can, keep stacking as much money as you can to the side. In the meantime that you're stacking money away, because you have your crash account. Once you have your six months in your crash account, then you start building your firewood account. Build that firewood account to maybe 50 grand or 25 grand or whatever it is. And then go look for the investment that you can invest in, whether it's starting a business or whether it's investing in a syndication, whatever it is. Now you need to start thinking like an investor. Go put that money to work 
Then it starts growing. What are you going to do then? You're now going to try and fill it up again to 25 or 50 again. In the meantime, while you're doing this, your other focus, your main focus should be to increase income as often as you can. Every month, every other month, every quarter, whatever it is, it should be to increase income constantly. Then put more and more in the firewood account and go and invest. Before you know it, all of a sudden, you got I a lot of money. I think we should do in. another episode on just that because I had a couple of people asking questions about for us to break that down. Well, I got one right now. Okay. So let's say my number was 10,000, right? I need to hit that for cash flow coming in. Uh-huh. Passive. I hit ten, passively. Okay. I hit 10,000. Uh-huh. I decided to quit my nine to five job. How do I continue to build my firewood then? Well, again, I mean, you never want to get to that stage, right? I mean, even today, you know, I live on a much smaller percentage. I, I could, I mean, I'm sure I, I could just go live, you know, however you want to pretty lavish, but you know, I don't because actually I get more, I value investing more than I do in things, right? I've had the fancy cars, I've had the big homes, I've done all that stuff. And then I look back and I think, actually, I have more fun buying buildings that they pay me rent. (laughs) So if your number was 10, obviously, you don't want to use all of it. So what would the number be to be like, okay, I'm only using a percent. So let's say I need 10,000. How much would you need to build the wealth pretty quick, build the firewood? That depends on living expenses. Well, you know, you're, you're wanting to invest in other deals. You're going to need about $50,000 to $100,000 to keep investing. I mean, today, I mean, it's really up to you. If you're making 10000 passively, I mean, I'm probably still just saving every penny of that. Meanwhile, I'm out working. Well, are you still in a nine to five or? I, sure. I mean, why not? You're still in a nine to five. You're paying your bills. You're now you're only living off of your active income not your passive or right. you get to the point where you can switch it. And now you're only living on your passive income and not your active income. So your nine to five job, you're just going and putting in your firewood account every month and your passive income you're actually living on. So, you know, for me, especially when you're young, I mean, I don't think you should start getting to the point until you're in your late fifties where you start saying, yeah, I'm not going to do anything. You know, you should still be trying to drive income. And I look at it as like, you're an engine, Right. You're an engine. Jenna's an engine. And now you and then you had your well, you don't have it now. And now you have all the money sitting in your bank account. But now you need to deploy that cash into another engine. So now you have three engines, right, that are making you money. You have you, Nick, you have you, Jenna, and then you have your passive investment. There's three engines generating money. But if you're only living off one, you have two engines that are generating more money towards your firewood account. So it's building up faster. So what you end up finding is, is that that firewood account ends up building up faster and faster, where then you're making another investment. Now you have three engines going into that firewood account. You're still living only off of you, let's say, or only living off of Jenna, what, you know, however you want to do it. I guess it would be you, Nick. So, you know, you have these other engines that are putting into the firewood account. It just, it is kind of like what Warren Buffett said, you know, it is like a snowball. As you keep putting more out there, it keeps coming back faster. So how do you know, like when you left and became a full-time investor, how did you know? Like when you were like, okay, this is enough passively right now. Like I'm ready to just be a full-time investor. I did that a long time ago. I mean, but you know, I learned something very valuable from my parents early on. And that was save your money. 
save, save. So even when I was delivering pizzas, I mean, I remember I was 16, 17 and I was delivering pizzas. I had like $10,000 in cash. <laughs> That's actually pretty crazy. Mostly ones. I just saved my money. You know, they told me to or save. Or you were the best pizza man around town. I was pretty damn good. <laughs> I was pretty You're going to do something yeah. to be the best go one be, Yeah, it. go be a pizza man. Yeah. <laughs> be the best. Like I always taught my kids, you know, I don't care. I don't care what you do. Yeah. You could be, you could be, you know, a McDonald's clerk. Just be the best in the world at it. Whatever you do, just go be the best. So, you know, for me, I just kind of fell into it. I mean, Again, I don't even know if I'm still there yet. I mean, I love going and creating the businesses. Right. Yeah, I can live off of just my passive income or I could just live off of my active income. Mm-hmm. I choose to live off my active now at this point where passive is actually higher than my active income. So I prefer to save the majority amount that goes keeps going into my firewood account, builds up in there. And then I'm like, okay, what's the next What's the next building? What's the next investment that I can go and invest in? You know, I've gotten to meet a lot of people. They're investing in these deals that are like $100 million deals. You know, they're doing senior housing. You know, they're doing 55 plus. They're building these huge buildings, buying 350, 400 unit properties. Hey, you know, yeah, you want to invest in it? Yeah, sure. I'll invest, you know, X amount, whatever in it. And then they just ACH that money in my account every quarter and I just keep, then I let it build up again. And then I just repeat, you know, rinse and repeat. Right. It really is rinse and repeat. Yeah. It's it. I think a lot of people make it very complicated because the big numbers is what they want, but just start with the little numbers. You know, it's the saying, right? A journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. Just take the one step, you know, and I don't agree with this BS of, you know, some of these other people are like, oh, just don't buy the the Starbucks. Save the, the <laughs> seven bucks. You got to live too. You right. Live a little. So I don't agree with that. I I say instead of not buying the Starbucks, buy the Starbucks and then figure out in your mind how you can make 14 bucks more that day. You know, the focus should be on increasing income. It shouldn't necessarily be on how can I pinch pennies? Because if you have a mindset of scarcity, that's what you're going to get. You have to have a mind of abundance. You have to know that there is so much money out there. You just have to get in front of it. That's all. Just get in front of it. Look at these kids online who just make millions, you know, whether it's a TikTok star or a, whatever it is, there's just so many ways, but you have to commit yourself. You have to dedicate yourself and you have to go through the steps to get there. You know, people are like, oh, how can I become viral? How can I get viral? You know, because that's going to propel them. Well, that might only propel you for a couple months. Well, it's that get rich quick. That's all they're looking for. And that's why their 99% is that. The 99% is how can I just do this quickly? The 1%, they know that it takes time, you know, and it does take time in the beginning and it's slow and it's painful in the very beginning. But as you build up speed, it does go faster. That's what you want. So last question. What is there anything new in real estate, like new and upcoming or anything you've seen that you might want to take a peek at? Well, I think blockchain is going to be a big thing. I think blockchain is going to change a lot of things. I think real estate is going to be one of them. I think AI is going to change some things in real estate, going to change some things for realtors (laughs) and mortgage people as well. An AI person can't unlock the door. You still need me. It's not. It's not physical. Let me ask you something. When you, we would go to home sometimes and I forget what those homes are. Matter of fact, we did it and we didn't even have you there. And I would call the number and we'd walk up to the door 
Open door. The door would open. And we'd walk in and show ourselves. It's open door to broker jar. They bought the house. Yeah, but isn't it so, going yeah. into the metaverse? Like you're you're not owning real estate. Well, here I think real estate in the metaverse is going to be something, right? I don't know. I mean, they tried to kind of work that. Yeah, they were saying that yeah, that, that, that never really through. took yeah. off. It yeah. hasn't, but I think in the future it will take off as more and more virtual that our world becomes. Stupid. So I think that that's one of the things that you know maybe I would buy a little bit of real estate virtually just to kind of you know play in that arena a little bit to learn more about it. But for me, I kind of stick to the basics. I stick to what I know. But I do think AI crypto is going to change the real estate world. And so I think that for realtors, lenders, I think they need to be ahead of that curve, really be staying ahead of it and find out, okay, what do I need to do to to remain on the other side of it? Because I do think that those, you know, kind of like what you were just saying, like, oh, they can't open the door. Well, we just may mentioned a example of how they can. So yeah, but they what have are, to purchase the house. Yes, but what are some of the ways that you can think of it? How can I, you know, get in front of that? Now I don't know. That has to be your brainstorm, but you have to think of it that way. You today you have to think so fast. And that's why, you know, for realtors out there or lenders, you know, mortgage brokers, if I was a mortgage broker today, I'd be reading books on AI. And then because when you're doing that, you all of a sudden you start coming into your mind like, hey, wait a minute. I could use AI to do this. Now I feel like you're people just in front say of the curve. AI when they don't even have AI and things that they're selling now. I, I agree with that. Well, we're, we use AI, but there's actually no AI in it. We're in the very beginning stages of AI. So, from what I've seen, Not there fan. are some crazy things that are going on with that. And I would tell you, don't learn more about it and try to get ahead of that curve. Even, even if you're in sales, you got to be ahead of the curve. You got to know. Today, we have to move so fast today. You guys have to move so fast. And, and me too, you know, which it gets harder for me. I'm in my 50s. You guys are still young. You have the energy and everything. For me, I get tired. But for you guys, you got to move fast. And you and I had a conversation, Nick, not that long ago. Remember what I told you? Put your foot through the car. Yep. Put your Pedal to the metal. Matter of fact, I said, don't even put your pedal to the metal. <laughs> Stick it through the floor. Yeah. You got to go fast and you got to go as fast as you can. And that means trying to find new ways to make higher income, to increase your income as often as you can. You might have your nine to five, but meantime, may- maybe instead of going home and watching the stupid boob tube, maybe you start <laughs> reading uh, a book or you start watching YouTube videos, maybe, or you at least make that time productive and actually say, hey, maybe I can learn how to do affiliate marketing or maybe I can do learn to go viral on, you know, there's so many things. And I think that internet provides the easiest way to make a lot of money with the least amount of risk. And I think that's, for me, if I to go full circle now, for me, I think that's where if I was in that age, I would definitely have something that was another engine that was making me money. Of course, I'd have to work on it. You have to work on it. You have to put your your time and energy into it. And I would try to figure that out. If you think about it, if you have, if you sell something that's a thousand dollars, how many of those widgets do you have to sell at a thousand dollars to make a million dollars? Thousand. A thousand. All you have to do is sell a thousand units at a thousand dollars to make a million dollars. <laughs> when you have 8 billion people on the earth as your potential customers, just find the right thing that everybody's after and go and buy it. 
or don't buy it. I mean, go and invest in that and then sell it. Mm-hmm. You could do it through where people allow you to sell their products and then they pay you X amount. So again, I mean, I, there's so many ways. If you have a nine to five, get with your husband instead of sitting there or your wife and at night say, how can I do this? And then actually start taking some action towards it. Put the kids to bed and say, look, we're going to build our business at night while the kids are asleep. Before you know it, it's going to be one, two o'clock in the morning. You're you're going to be really jazzed about it, right? And then before you know it, after you've been working on it maybe a couple of years or who knows how long, all of a sudden you're like, we make more money in our company that we created than in our nine to fives. Right. Now, would I quit? I wouldn't quit. I would just start putting that nine to five in the firewood account or maybe the business money in the firewood account. Now you can go and start investing that money. Do you see? I mean, there's so many ways. So many. So many. I mean, we, we could just go on for days about it. So, Do you have any more questions? That's it. Well, well Nick, thanks. I think it's uh, it's been an honor to have you here today. I mean, you're our first guest. Oh, well, I'm, I'm privileged. Well, we, yes, we're are. the ones that feel privileged to have you here. So thank you very much for coming on and spending some time with us, asking us some of the, que- or, you know, some of the questions that you had. And uh, thanks. And as for our listeners, if you're interested in doing a Q&A, you can DM us at PMR Unhinged on Instagram and apply for a position. Thanks. Love to have you.